Welcome to the second episode of VSTML 2023 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Helmstone, and joining me this season is the guy who is sweating from all his cracks doing this podcast, David Binley. Hello, Clarice. Another very fun episode, I would say. Yeah, this this one was better than last week. Whisper it, but I'm quietly confident about this season. Yeah, it's better than I was expecting. Like I, The last couple of seasons have been fine, but sort of unremarkable. This one sort of feels like it's going to be actually good. Yeah, this one feels like they're trying again, which yeah. is nice. It's always nice when they try. Yeah, it's very rare in Vidim now, which is... Which probably makes it feel even better when it actually is a decent opening to episodes. And one thing I did notice when I was editing last week's podcast is, because obviously Logan's not here, we didn't really do the what have you missed from our lives in the uh, in the intervening seven months since Belgia chat. What have we missed from your life, Michael? Well, one thing that sort of I don't think I ever mentioned on the podcast was my next door neighbour having very cute Malinois. Aww. Yeah, very good boy, and has been mentioned on uh, on the historians one, the new one at least. But the old one was one called Tango, who was about two and a half years old. And when I was in, when I was sitting in a hotel room in uh, in Amsterdam for um, for the Belkia finale last year, I got a message basically saying that they'd had to put him down, and they basically said we're not getting a dog for a little while. And Dave, my next door neighbour, sent his wife a text a few months later, going, "You know how we weren't going to get another dog." I'm on my way to pick up a, uh, a baby Malinois. And oh. the baby Malinois that they've picked up is called Ludo, and he is the world's most affectionate and cutest dog, and has become our dog son. Over Christmas, I had a bad back from, like, the day after Boxing Day, so I wasn't able to do my usual 10,000 steps a day. And I got a, uh, a message off my family going, if you can uh, hobble this far, Ludo's out for a walk. So I hobbled that far, and walked back with his mum. And, um... She expressed a bit of a, uh, a worry about Ludo because he's that well-trained that he kind of walks to the left of you automatically, oh, yeah. but he will only do it for men. So she huh. was worried that she's got a bit of a misogynistic dog. <laughs> Son of a bitch. She's worried that her dog may be sexist, but he is he's basically become our dog son. We take him out for walks now as well, and he's the world's cutest dog, basically. Aww. So, yeah, he's the best. And... Um, in the last week, I had a little bit of a fun experience as well, because last Thursday, one of my friends from down south was, has a regular gig on uh, on a show in Leeds, so he comes up occasionally. And we have a little quiz group going on, because he's a he's a massive quizzer. He's won four more quiz shows than I have, i.e. four. <laughs> but we'd basically decided with this quiz group that we need to go and do a quiz together. And in fact, we are going to be doing one next weekend. We're, we're on a quiz event in, in York next Saturday. But... One of our group does loads and loads of pub quizzes. So we decided to crash his pub quiz without him knowing and just kind of turn up. And we won by the most bullshit rule possible. <laughs> it's so weird to see you winning by a bullshit rule instead of losing by a bullshit rule. Exactly my thinking. Um, it was like a speed quiz. And the very last round of it was you get eight points if you get the question correct, but you lose eight points if you're wrong. However, if both of the top two teams either don't answer or get it wrong, then whoever is the fastest goes straight to the top. And we did that with six questions left. Good for you. And me being me, I did not react at all to this. No, of course you didn't. You would never react to anything like this at all, ever. Ever. 
no, I didn't get a reputation in the pub and definitely get barred. I couldn't help myself, but it was a very entertaining way to spend my Thursday evening and win a 20 quid bar tab that I then got 20 quid cash for instead. Oh, wow. Anyway, this Vidim episode, the most important question of all, where in the world is Logan Saunders? Well, for some reason, he's stuck in a taxi that for God knows why, drove all the way from the Great Barrier Reef to a random town in the outback. He keeps trying to call us, but we're not sure why. We've told him to stop stalking us. Stop making Logan Cruz a thing. Yeah. He's Jason Logan Rulo at best. <laughs> that will never get old. So previously everyone got a call from Averon to determine whether they would be next in line before being locked in boxes around Cape Town two weeks later. After Groot got the opportunity to join a choir before Sarah was executed and given a dilemma, the chance to return for money from the pot. Rick tells us that Sarah was devastated to leave, but still had the first red screen. Now, though, she gets a chance to return and have extra knowledge if she comes back. She will have to calm her nerves or say goodbye for good. Everyone else is unknowingly going to play a crucial role in her return. Do you think that was actually the mole on the phone? Uh, no. No, I think it was probably a producer with a voice changer, being honest. Yeah, because it's... It sounded sort of too male that you could like rule out basically all of the women straight away. And I don't think, I think like if that was deliberate, it was like a decoy and it means the mole is actually a woman rather than, you know, the mole's a man and they were just too stupid to find a different voice changer. Yeah. Put it this way. I don't think that's going to be the reveal at the end of the season is them taking the voice changer off. Yeah. And the title of this episode is Artifice, so it could be this that's the fake thing. Interestingly, in the intro, Sarah did already have a red thumbprint as well, which they don't tend to do for people who have a chance to return. Yeah. They tend to leave them unread thumbprinted until actually they've been eliminated properly. Yeah, they changed a photo on the website as well. And it's day three in Cape Town, and the final nine are boarding vans to take them to Destination Unknown. Euro speculates what will happen today, and apparently Fraki suggested earlier that they would be stomping grapes, and therefore they think that they're heading to Stellenbosch. The other car are still discussing the box assignment and which questions weren't answered, and Fraki says that Daniel shut down a loss of conversation with her. They are not in Stellenbosch, they are in a steel factory in Saldana, which everyone has definitely heard of and Google definitely didn't struggle to find. And it is 150 kilometres north of Cape Town. So, you know, just around the corner. Yeah, it's a genuinely large amount, given that Stellenbosch that they are going to end up going to is less than 100 kilometres away from Cape Town. Yeah. Well, Stellenbosch is so close, Amazing Race went there. And they don't go, you know, more than 5Ks from the airport anymore. Stellenbosch is so close that I went there, albeit for one Mm. day, much to my family who actually drinks uh, disappointment. Because the place that we stayed was on a winery, and it was the world's cheapest wine. The equivalent of about £4 for a bottle of wine in a hotel. That's not bad. I don't know why, but it always amuses me that sort of like every other element of this show appears designed to make Cape Town and the contestants look as gorgeous as possible, and then Daniel consistently looks like he's on his way into the gym. Daniel constantly looks slobbish. Yeah. Daniel looks like he's just got home from a very hard day at work, and he's just constantly in, like, sweatpants, comfy shorts. And, I mean, I can't criticise. That's basically my wardrobe. No, I I can't criticise. It's exactly what I would be like. It's like, I I don't care whether I look good doing this. I'm on a TV show. I'm going to win money. Just, you know, let me wear 
pants and just like a bloody old t-shirt. Yeah, it it did really make me laugh because I spotted that as well. Like Daniel is putting zero effort into his outfits compared to everyone else, and it's kind of refreshing to see someone not do that. Yeah, especially in a season with like a fashion editor. Oh god, can you imagine like the next renaissance with Daniel and Cecile? That's assuming Daniel doesn't win, given how much of an edit he's had. Yeah. I've got a feeling Daniel's not going to be there all season. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about Daniel. We'll get to this at the end of the episode, but he had such an edit again this week. He was by far the main narrator. And there's one thing I noticed later on, which we'll discuss at the end, that makes me think he might be out next. So Rick meets them at the steel factory and says that they will be looking for resources to turn into iron balls, and the more balls that they get, the more they can earn for the pots. However, drones could be activated, and they will target the candidates. At the start of the assignment, they will have two lives each, and being seen by a drone will cost them a life. They have 45 minutes and a potential €3,000 to earn. Also in the factory is a buzzwire, and Sarah meets Rick in front of it, and to earn her place back, she must cost the group €1,500. The further she gets on the buzzwire, the more that she will earn from their money. Each time she touches the buzzwire with the ring, she will give them a shock and activate a drone. How do you feel about this return challenge? I think Sarah had no chance, at, like at all. This this was an impossible challenge for her. This was more, you know, how do we make the other people suffer for a little bit? But I I don't mind the idea. I think I think it would have been better if the people, like if the main group had a more interesting challenge to work with rather than just shove rocks onto a stretcher for a bit. Yeah, what production wanted from this was people holding the iron balls and then getting shocked. Yeah. Because it's very much worth bearing in mind. Every time she touched the buzzwire with the ring, not everyone got a shock. It was one person decided by production. So it was almost always the person who was climbing the stairs and trying to focus on the balls. It's always fun when you're trying to focus on balls and you get distracted. There we go. Yep, I know. I do wonder what production actually told everyone who was doing that side of the challenge, though, because we know from like UK Big Brother and stuff, they have to put on the pads personally. Yeah. They would have had to go into a tent or whatever and put shock pads on their ass. and I don't understand what they would have been told to to go, oh yeah, you, you need to put these on first before you put your boiler suits on. Could it have been that the pads were on the bottom of the plate instead of on the suits? Because it, it seemed like they were surprised by it the first time it happened. Yeah, but people got shocks even when they weren't carrying balls, I think. Oh, I don't know then. I think people got shocks even when they weren't carrying the plate, but I I wouldn't know for certain. Yeah. I also don't know why Nimbil decided to impersonate the Monopoly man by sounding like a grizzled prospector, because that's the voice we all associate with him. Sarah says she has an inner piece already, she's got a steady hand and plans on draining all of their money. And Daniel confirms that they have five seconds to hide from the drone to not lose a life if one activates. They are provided with stretchers to carry the stones, but not all groups find one. Nabil comes up with a double-decker stretcher idea, which of course takes one of the other team's stretchers out of play. Sarah gets to 10% very quickly and then 20% still without touching anything, and she has to get to at least 50% to even stand a chance of returning. And she hits a wire between 20 and 30% and her drone activates, and Yura is the first person to get spotted, and he loses a life. Because he's the mole. Is he too obvious? My feeling on Yura 
and I think he is in my top three this week. I need to double check before uh, before we do that section. My feeling on Yura is that we are all going to lose a lot of points on Yura when he inevitably goes home. I don't know with Yura because it feels like like he's always in the right place and he's always doing the right things to sabotage. But then you know you think maybe he's in the right place too often, like to have the plausible deniability. And Soy's a little bit like that too. Yeah, I just can't rationalise him at the moment. Because on one hand, I feel like he is so unbelievably obviously the mole. Mm. And on the other, I just feel like I'm being tricked. It's weird watching a season and not knowing who the mole is, because like the last few seasons, I've sort of caught up after the fact for various reasons, and I haven't been able to watch live. So it's sort of refreshing to have absolutely no idea who it is at this point. Yeah, and I'll say, assuming that anyone from production has been listening to these podcasts at this point, these first two episodes are good, and yeah. you are confusing us, which is the best thing you can do. Obviously, you've just got to make it make sense by the end of the season, but I don't mind being wrong Yeah, at this point in the season, at least. You don't mind being wrong if it's a good mole, like Jan Versteg. You don't want to be wrong if it's a Euroan. Yeah, like I've said this on the Historians episodes especially, I don't mind being wrong as long as it makes sense in the end. Yeah. And there's a difference between being wrong on a really good mole and being shocked at the end, like an Elizabeth, versus being wrong and just not caring at the end, like an Averon. Or a Kazi. Like, I really don't mind being wrong. But I can't work out whether you're especially, but Soy too, are just acting like they're the moles. Mm. And just feeling a bit too convenient. I don't know. So there's a machine which converts the resources into iron balls, and then they have to balance them on a plate to get to the receptacle. And there are three locations, one worth 500 euros, one worth 1,000, and one worth 1,500. Daniel makes the executive decision to go for the 1,000 euro one first. However, when he and Frauke go downstairs, she gets a shock. Sarah apologises for giving them many, many shocks. Do you get the feeling Sarah didn't really care? Yeah. I reckon that Sarah was just having fun at this point. She didn't obviously realise that she was directly affecting the other group, but she was just having fun. And she gets to 30% finally, with 13 minutes gone so far. Yara, Anka and Sander find out that Nabil and Anik have two stretchers, and their search finally ends. And Sander's pants also fall down, like he's trying to be in Amazing Race 3. Soy doesn't trust Daniel, and decides to climb the tallest tower to see whether he told the truth. And he drops all of the balls when Sarah touches the wire, and sees that there is 1,500 euros available in that tower. She then gets to 40% and almost immediately touches the buzzwire again, and Renomi loses a life by not even hiding. Speaking of Amazing Rose, did somebody compare laying in a metal tube for a few seconds to being in Iraq? I think they might have done, actually, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Ron. Double shout-out. Double shout-out to people who are never going to listen to this podcast ever in a million years. Yeah. Those are the best kind of shout-outs. Yura walks past the money box but finds it again, and Sarah touches the wire again, and Frakia drops another plate. And Sarah says she's sweating from all her cracks, but makes it to 50%, and is now in the potential return zone. Anik drops a ball, and it doesn't even make it into the box. And there isn't even a shock in this case. Mm. How do you think the mole would play this challenge? Because obviously we know what side of the challenge the mole was on now. I, I think... If the mole was in the group that didn't have the stretcher, I don't think they would have been trying too hard to look for it. Or I, I 
maybe if they were in the other group that saw the two stretches, you know, maybe they were involved in the idea to take both of them or something, you know, something like that to mess with not having three groups working all the time there. And then, you know, with the plate, you've basically just got to act a little bit like the shock is a little bit stronger than it is and just accidentally, you know, drop a couple. Like it's not, it's not a super difficult challenge to sabotage. Yeah, the key thing is, though, I think it's a weird one for the mole to have to even think about because the mole, as we've said before, wants someone to come back if they get the chance. Yeah. But doesn't want money going into the pot. So the mole's the mole's best tactic is for Sarah to do really well and get 100% and then them do really well in the challenge. Mm. But there's a balance in that if Sarah still isn't doing really well, you've got to keep as much money out of the pot because if she doesn't return, everything's going into the pot. Yeah. You want to try and get to about 16, 1700 before Sarah gets there. Because if you do, you know, too badly, you sort of stand out a little bit too much. But if you do too good and then they find out, oh, well, Sarah had a chance to get back in, that's going to be too obvious as well. So you sort of want somewhere in the middle. It's a weird dilemma for the mole. I don't, I don't think it's a normal decision making process for the mole, this one. Yeah, I think. I think they did pretty well. It's just the little bit they maybe didn't have the impact on the group wasn't as good at it as they were expecting. So maybe they just sort of just missed out. Really, once once they decided not to go for that 1500 tube, the challenge was over. Sai and Nabil say that they know they have two lives each, so they ignore the drone and instead complete the 1000 euro tower. Sarah makes it past 16, 70% with a bit of difficulty. She crosses 18, 90% as they reach 200 euros worth of balls in the 500 tube. And Soy gets taken out, as does Nabil. I think my favourite bit about them basically just start deciding we don't care about the drone, we're just going to keep going with the challenge, we've got lives to spare, is, you know, if you're going to do that, why not move a little bit faster? Like, they, they, were, they didn't care about the drones, but they were going super slow anyway. And Sarah reaches 90% as the time runs out, and Euro banks his last couple of balls. Rick then returns and tells them they could have earned up to 3,000 euros, but who was flying the drones? He reveals that Sarah was in charge of the shocks, and her assignment was to take 1,500 euros off their winnings, but she failed, and they instead earn 1,300 euros of 3,000 for the challenge. She gets another exit interview with Rick after he reveals that they only earned 1,300 euros. The first time she blamed herself because she went too fast, but this time, it's entirely the group's fault. When he explains it to her, I think... It's probably the first time he's been better at handling a situation than Art or Peter Yarn would have been. Like, Rick is, you know, a fine host, but he's not as good as basically anyone who's come before him. But this situation, he was good. Yeah, Peter Yarn would have just laughed in her face and told us to get the fuck out of his steel factory. Yeah, and Art wouldn't have gone to see her at all. No, Art would have just come up on the TV screen. Art would have, you know, just driven off and we uh, with the last shot we would have been would have been her staring as he goes off into the sunset i did like that we faded away from the metal factory on a clock out sign which was pretty clever it's like they're on tough as nails so they're taken back to cape town for the evening and anchor gets an invitation to chat to daniel who offers her an alliance of journalists and she's starting to trust him as they're both super serious and he's super fanatical she is on fraukia soy and anik but she's wary of fraukia because they share a room they basically have a suicide pact if one of them goes, then the other knows who not to suspect. Did you see that this is potentially the most infamous bit of the episode? No. There is a rumour 
that um, Daniel and Anka got a little bit closer than we saw. Oh. I believe our friends over at Trust Nobody were called out for calling it a fuck bomb this week. Huh. Daniel jokingly called them out for it. It's apparently also been dubbed the Hookup Alliance. Would explain why Daniel was a bit nervous about it. Yeah. Obviously, no one knows if there's even a grain of truth in this, but it is kind of hilarious. And I've just found my outro for this week. So the vans are waiting for them on day four, and Frauke says that they just get in the van and don't think about who sits where on the buses. Her, Soy, Anka and Daniel end up in a van together, bitching about Renomi's lack of fitness despite being an Olympian. I thought that that was a very mean scene, given that Renomi is very quick in the water. She's never claimed to be very quick at running. It's like, you know, an Olympic sprinter being good at running up a hill on a survivor challenge. In heels. I mean, I realise that's a bit of a different situation because Renomi hasn't had her medals taken off her. But you know. And they end up being on a team together while the other five are taken to Props to the Stars, a prop warehouse for everything that filled in South Africa, which is basically everything at the moment. And Yura also seems to be dressed as a Boy Scout. When was the last time people wore... Like neckerchiefs, unironically. So Rick tells them that the other four are in Woodstock, an area known for its street arts, and they must photograph specific pieces of artwork, and the only way to find out which pieces of artwork is for the group of five to use the props to tell them which mural they will need. Each correct photo they send is worth 250 euros of the pot, and they've got 45 minutes. The group of four decide to start out as a group, and then split into duos later, and they have coffee until the other team tell them what they are looking for. What side would you want to be on as the mole? Uh, in the warehouse, definitely. I think in the warehouse, if you're the mole, you sort of at least maybe have an idea of how to um, hint away from the right uh, murals a little bit more, and you can sort of find things that maybe don't quite fit. Like that mailbox, I still have no idea how that fit in anywhere. I think it was because there was a mailbox in front of it. Ah, oh, of course. Yeah, I think there was more potential to fuck things up in the warehouse compared to in the the street, where it's basically, do I take a photo of the wrong billboard on purpose? And that's basically all you can do. Which, you know, perfectly fine sabotage, one they've done before, but it's season 23 plus Renaissance plus two junior seasons. So basically 26 seasons of this show, you really need something a little bit more interesting than hey i knew this billboard was wrong but i took a photo of it anyway and i think there was more potential for that in the warehouse yeah i think you could probably make an argument for either side obviously the being in woodstock is more of a basic option but i think the key thing for the mole is to just try and make sure as few photos as possible are identified because of the rebus angle at the end i think that's the key thing because you don't want that money getting doubled so they do also have additional rules. They can only send and receive six photos total, and they are only allowed three letters or characters per photo. And they decide to be as literal as possible. If they are looking for elephants, they've got a few of them. They're also only allowed to ask the prop workers to get specific items for them, not whether they have a particular item. And the first photo is sent, and it's of a man in a red hat and a monkey. And Soy suggests that it might not be a monkey specifically, but they may have a limited range of beasts. Well, it is Africa, so there's really only five of them. That is true, and two of them are very elusive, from my experience. Anik finds a wig, but it looks startlingly like Tico's hair from Renaissance, and they decide to use it as a beard. (laughs) It looked like it smelt like it had been under a bridge for a little while. 
Yep. And the photo taking group find a man lying down with a bit of blue on it and take a wrong photo. Daniel spots the right one, but no one listens to him. And Sander says that even Stevie Wonder would see that this photo was wrong. I think my favourite part of all that is they managed to find a blue man, even though the photo, you took the photo wrong, so you didn't see the blue bit. So somehow they got from a photo that was supposed to be blue, where you didn't see the blue, to a blue man that wasn't the right blue man. It's like they were trying to take a picture of a flag and just missing out half of the details. Yeah. Daniel and Frauke then overrule and send a second photo, and it's the actual right blue one, much to the irritation of Soy and Anka. They use a fish to represent a beak for a bird, which is always a good idea. Anka says that she thinks that they were just throwing everything on the ground and that colour was the most important bit. Third photo is submitted and yet again it's wrong, and they take a fourth photo of a fly in a red hat and it's the wrong one again. And Anka mistakes their photo for another new one. Did you notice Daniel and Anka running directly past the bird mural? I did, yes. It was very interesting. Like, I don't know who to suspect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll get to this, but my my first suspect last week was Daniel. He's not my first suspect this week, but he's still kind of fourth-ish. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone's first suspects were pretty bad last week. Mm-hmm. Not to gloat, but um, I got a message off our very own Michelle Pierce Denovan yesterday going, what? My first suspect's gone? And I'm like, yeah, your first suspect was Fraukia, Logan's first suspect was Fraukia, and Bindle's third suspect was Fraukia. So, you know, somehow I'm in the lead. Oh god, we're never going to hear the end of it, are we? Nope. I mean, just imagine my yelping from the pub quiz last Thursday, and, and that's kind of the level I'm working at now. Well, you know what they say, when life gives you lemons, take a photo of a pomegranate, because it's the same thing. Literally every time we got a question right, because obviously at that point, when we were in the lead, we kind of had to gamble on every question. Every time we were still in the lead, I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, I can't believe we're still winning. Oh my god. And then uh, we even got the very final question, which was worth 30 points, which was, um, how many days separate the release of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows? The closest team won 30 points. Part one or part two? In the books, this is. Oh. Uh, books was about 10 years. So 3,650. We did 3,652 and we were the closest. We were only about 26 off, I think. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah, because I knew it was 1997 to 2007 and I knew they were both July releases. But were you over or under? Well, we were under. Oh. It was about 3,678, I think. Something like that. Okay. And how many lives did you have left? Uh, one. That's a shame. <laughs> it went in the limitless bin. Yeah. So Frakir and Sly decide to go rogue and take another photo as time is running out. And the final photo that they receive is like a crime scene, and they've got no idea what it's meant to represent. And with 30 seconds left, Sly and Frakir decide to take one final photo so as to not waste their chance, and they take a random one, but obviously it's wrong. And Brick tells the warehouse team that they only earned 250 euros of 1500 for the challenge. However, they do have the option to earn more. Behind him are six Rebus puzzles, and he wants to hear the right sentence that they will form. Because they only get one correct photo, he can only reveal one puzzle of their choice, and they pick number three. Before we go on to the uh, Rebus, did you notice the thing in the background that might be a big hidden clue? I didn't, know. Okay, so when Rick's talking, well, you know how the challenge was basically take these things that don't look like what they're supposed to and make it 
looks like something you can recognize. Yeah. So when Rick's talking behind him on the table, you can see a big letter M, you know, for mole. And then right next to it is a like ladder, basically open up wide to form a 12 foot tall letter A, which could be Anka or Anik. Oh. Yeah. Like it's like, they're really obviously right next to each other and it looks really deliberate because it, it doesn't seem like they're lined up the way everything else in the warehouse was. That's interesting. Yeah. So they solve the puzzle as the word delivers and guess that this assignment yields 250 euros, but it's actually this assignment yields double money. And that means that they earn 250 euros of 3,000 for the challenge, 1550 of 6,000 for the episode, and 4,800 of 14,000 for the season so far. I did like in that scene that even Rick was like, yeah, you've got no chance, but we have to do it. We've set it up. Maybe you'll get lucky. And he also tells them to prepare for test and elimination. Execution. Yeah, still persisting with your elimination, Rick. Still persisting with your elimination. And they have a debrief, and Yura gets defensive about the alignment of the photos. And Sander says that he heard that Soy was just photographing without remorse. And it is now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. And of course, this being Vista Mole, they are back in the VOC Vegetable Gardens. It really isn't as foreboding without the music. This music is fine, but it's not elimination music. This is, you know, opening of an episode music. Yeah. Soy says that in the first test, you're conditioned to think that you did well. You need to start again in the second test. Someone has gone onto his radar this episode, and that is Nabil. He's so obvious that it cannot be him. Nabil is using his guts. He doesn't have an order, but he spreads over Yura, Fraukia, Renomi, Soy, and Sander, which, by the way, is five of the other eight candidates. Fraukia is on Nabil, Renomi, and Yura. The group is still too big, and she hasn't been able to make a clear image, but she does have a feeling as to who it isn't. At the end of each day, Yura makes a list, and his suspicions change frequently. He does suspect Daniel and Anik. Anik thinks that she's in the right place, but you do have to be crazy to remember every detail, so that's the sort of thing she's been practicing of an evening. Anik has been on Fraukia, Soy, Anik and Renomi, but is determined not to enter a tunnel. Daniel has created a list of answers for the test before he sits it, so he knows what he'll be answering. Did them all get hit? Yes, as most people were. Did them all collect money? Also yes, as there were just as many people who weren't caught. Who did collect it is more suspicious to him, though. Renomi is spreading, but still suspects Soy after two episodes. And Sander has Soy in his sights, and his suspicions have become stronger. Anik is sometimes confused, and that could be suspicious too. I think it's interesting that we're two weeks in and we still have no idea who Daniel actually suspects. Because both tests, he's been given the, you know, I'm still playing the numbers sort of thing. And I feel like they're going to get to a point where the mole basically goes in the smaller group to avoid suspicion, and he's going to get eliminated that week. That's what I mean, like, Daniel is so odd edit-wise because he has had so many confessionals, or it feels like he's had so many confessionals, and he is by far the narrator of this season, and yet we just do not know who he suspects. Because even in the Buckbun scene, like, we didn't get any suspicions from him. We got Anka's suspicions, which was Fraki Sionanic, but we didn't get anything from Daniel. Hmm. It's weird. It feels like we're either getting set up for like a, a surprise early boot, like we did with Martin van der Weyden in Iceland, or he's going to be the winner and he's been on one person this entire way through the season. And they're not telling us because if they know if 
they tell us we know who the mole is. And I, I don't know which way that would be going. Obviously, I'm biased because of the pool. Yeah. And I want Daniel to do well so that I'm not last again. But I feel like it's probably the latter rather than the former. But it's a really weird way to tell Daniel's story if if he is on the right track. Because it doesn't give him any credit whatsoever. Yeah. Rick says that they're in the VOC Gardens, one of many places reminiscent of the Dutch presence in South Africa. Now it's a famous garden for the people of Cape Town to relax, and where they will say goodbye to a second person this season. And for anyone who listened to last week's podcast, may I just say, told you so. Yeah, as soon as Rick went into the speech, I'm like, oh, God, Bindles is going to be unbearable about this. You love when I'm unbearable. True. It's what we have you here for. Yeah. Makes me sound less unbearable. Yeah. Well, it's hard work, but somebody's got to do it. He says, having told a five-minute story about how much of a gloaty prick he was at a, uh, a pub quiz on Thursday. Soy, Yora, and Renomi get green screens before Frankit is the red one, and everyone is shocked. And being a gloaty prick, I do have to say that we both kind of called it last week. Yep. She wasn't a non-factor, and she was certainly more visible this week than she was last week, but we could tell from basically the moment she opened her mouth, she was not going to be here all season. Yeah, she was cannon fodder. See also Sander. And she says that she was disappointed to go because it was such an adventure, but she's excited to hear where she went wrong. I love that she was like, I was shocked because I love being here. Like that explains why she was so bad at winning the game. So next time, everyone heads to the sand, anchor is scared and buttons are pressed before the first very clean looking yokers are available in the library and the ship is searched. Now the pool was a bit of a cliffhanger last week, given that, you know, I didn't get Michelle's suspicions until Saturday afternoon. But Logan drafted Fraukia, Renomi, and Sander. Michelle drafted Soy, Yora, and Anik. And I drafted Daniel, Anker, and Nabil, meaning that Sarah was left over. And not that I'm going to be a gloaty prick about it, but for the fourth season running, Logan loses the first person after teams have been drawn. And the last time that someone other than Logan lost the first team member, including in the Belgian version of this, was Michelle losing Tina in China. Wow. Logan is on a three-year streak now. Mm. Logan is really bad at finding them all. It might take him all season to do it. Yeah, I can't gloat too much, because as I said to my brother, Logan lost two people really quickly last year and still had them all in his team at the end. Of course. But I'd completely forgot about this stat until I was looking at the, the pool stats for last year and went, oh my god, Logan lost the first person for three seasons on the trot, and now he's done it four times. That's hilarious. And don't forget, in episode six, I get to steal five people that I want. Yeah, that is true. And Logan's top three for week one were Fraukia, Renomi, and Anka, which I'm sure went well for him. I did say this to uh, Brown on Instagram a few days ago, but if Logan is not the first person to lose all of his team this season, something has gone completely wrong. Statistically, after this episode, Logan has the worst team of any pool that we have ever done. Wow. Logan has a record low 6.13 points out of 10 for his average moliness, compared to my 4.84 and Michelle's 4.53. The lower being the better, obviously. There is a big old gap. Mm. And it's kind of hilarious. (laughs) So... On the subject of first suspicions, thank you to everyone who submitted a guess. Yet again, we had a record number of submissions, and Sander is the only person who didn't get any first suspicions, so you need to hope that he goes home for anyone to actually win on first guess. 
The most suspected person with an average of 4 out of 10 was Yura, followed by Anka, Fraukia, Soy, and Anik Tide, Nabil, Renomi, and Daniel Tide, Sander, and then Sarah. And for the first time in First Suspicions history, nobody put the first boot above last place. So I'm very proud of you all. Well done for not being stupid. It's a running joke every time we do this that someone will always do it. And nobody did it this year. It was greatly amusing that people have finally cottoned on that maybe you should put the person who went home first in last place. Maybe we all, you know, saw the preview and realised instantly that that challenge was going to be impossible. Potentially, yes. Yeah. And with the three of us doing the pool added in, we found Daniel more suspicious than Renomi and Soy more suspicious than Anik. Michelle's team had a post-episode one of Moliness of 4.53 with mine at 4.84 and Logan at 5.63. And removing Fraukia puts Logan on the record low of 6.13. If you remove Fraukia and Sarah, Logan's now on 5.45 out of 8. My team is 4.33 out of 8, and Michelle's is 4 of 4. Only one person, which was Alan, had Fraukia in last, so he takes an early lead on first suspicions. On the other end of the table, four people, Jack and Jason, and our very own Logan and Michelle, not that I'm gloating, had her in first. And the order is now Yura, Anka, Anik, Sloy, swapped from last week. Nabil, Daniel, Renomi, swap from last week, and Sander. And as of Sunday evening, Soy is by far the most suspected candidate of the Netherlands, with 26% of votes, followed by Anker on 14%, Renomi and Anik on 12%, Daniel, Yura, and Nabil all on 10%, and Sander bringing up the rear on 6%. Take a breath. On the subject of suspicions, who do you suspect? Okay, so first hasn't really changed. I still think it's Yura. Um... Again, I, I think he's just in the right position, doing the right things too many times for it to be a coincidence. Second is Soy, because I think he's also doing a lot of things in the right position. But I don't think... I, I think if it is Soy, I think he's a little bit less um, obvious about it than Europe would be. Then we've got Anik and Anka, just because of that clue that I think I spotted. And also yep. because they're basically the only other two people left who sort of do look suspicious. Nabil, I don't know with Nabil. Like, sometimes I feel like he is being a mole, and sometimes I feel like he's just too much of a candidate to be suspicious, but he's sort of, you know, somewhere in the middle, and I don't think it's any of the other people, so he's sort of somewhere in fifth or whatever we're up to. Sanders obviously not the mole, because I think we all agree he's going to be out next week or the week after. Almost probably. Certainly. Renomi, I don't think is being the mole. I think we're not getting enough content from her. Like, if she is the mole, they're just hiding it rather than making it, like, guessable, I guess, is the right word. And then Daniel is just too much of a candidate. And, then, you know, obviously Fracu and Sarah, not the mole. Definitely not the mole, Logan and Michelle. <laughs> not that we're gloating. No. So my order is Soy and then Anchor. I've put Nabil in third because Nabil got a big uptick in airtime this week. Yeah. And I don't know why. Even though he's on my team and obviously naturally rooting for him to be the mole, he got a big uptick, which was inherently suspicious to me. Then I've got Daniel there, obviously. Then Anik. And then Yora's just too obvious for me, I think. I think Yora is probably going to end up being the mid-season, oh my god, I can't believe they've gone home, everyone's lost their points boot. Yeah. And then, obviously, I've got the entirety of Logan's team in the last two spaces because Renomi and Sander are not the mole. No. Renomi would say no to it, as I said last week, and Sander, just no. 
I know I said this last week, but I really, really want it to be a woman this season because, like, I was wor- I was working it out. This is the ninth season since Rick was a contestant. We've had two female moles in that time. Yeah, and one of those is Meryl. Yeah, like, it's time for another female mole. I would kind of like it if it was Anchor, I'll be honest. Yeah. Anchor would be a good mole. Anik would be a great mole. As I said, I wouldn't be angry if I was wrong, but it was one of Anchor and Anik, because I like both of them after the first two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like if they're going to pick a female mole this season, it kind of has to be Anchor or Anik. It's certainly not going to be Renoten. No. And I sort of like the idea of a reveal of, like, Anchor being the mole at the end of the season. I can picture it. Yeah. Especially as she was the first one to answer the phone as well. I will say, before the season even started, like, I just looked at the cast photo, and Uncle was one of the three people that I sort of picked out as, like, being the most obvious mole. And uh, nothing that I've seen so far has sort of dissuaded me from that. It's just that Yura and Soy had, like, been a little bit more moly. Of course, the you know, the first most suspicious person that in that photo was Fraukia, so... You know, take my opinions with a whole dead sea of salt. It's also worth pointing out on our suspicions that Sander is now the only person who none of the three of us, at least of the first two weeks, have suspected in our top three. Assuming, of course, that Logan doesn't suspect him and uh, put him in his top three this week. I don't think even Logan would be that dumb. I don't think so either. Have you got anything else you want to say about this episode? Do we need to eulogise Fraukia even further? Probably not, I'll be honest. Nah. I feel like we've kind of done enough eulogies. In that case, thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2023 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another new mole in South Africa. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Bindles is on Twitter at The Grim Recapper, and I'm MJ Helmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. There's a fuck bond and I wasn't invited? How rude.